Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Fat, Fitness, and COVID. In our deep dive today, the connection between lifestyle choices and COVID has become a topic of deep contention and controversy. Is pointing out the connection that obesity and fitness have with COVID mortality a form of fat shaming? Or are we following the science despite what social convention might suggest? And encourage your cringe, FEC rules on Hunter Biden controversy, a new potential Pinterest founder, and Facebook's little-known cross-check system. Did the Federal Election Commission finally put to rest questions of impropriety by social platforms in suppressing controversial stories? Or did they turn a blind eye to obvious inconsistencies in how the platforms regulate ideas in the wild? Is a recent lawsuit against the founders of Pinterest an opportunistic cash grab by an unscrupulous former associate? Or is it evidence of ungrateful founders conveniently ignoring those that helped them create a unicorn startup? And finally, is Facebook's moderation system creating a second-class citizenry by allowing millions of influential pages to operate under a different set of rules? Or is it a thoughtfully tiered system that ensures information with global impact is seen by all? This and more this week on TDR. Today's Hispanic Heritage Month. It is. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. And uh, tonight is the celebration for Mexico Independence Day, right? El Grito. El Grito. Which that's is right. tomorrow. And of course, everybody knows that that's why we picked the middle of September of course, of to, to start a month. What's your thought on Hispanic Heritage Month? Has it, has it evolved for you? Or I have it, a love-hate relationship with it. I have mixed feelings too, but I, I think I've had mixed feelings for maybe years. Yeah, I've always had mixed feelings of it. Um, on the one hand, I could appreciate the the opportunity to recognize the the contributions of Latinos in this country and the history of it. I think that's yeah nice. At the same time, <clears throat> it feels um, it always feels kind of contrived, um, and it ends up being this thing where a lot of people all of a sudden like it's important, but it seems all very uh, superficial in my mind, and uh, that's the part that bothers me. Well, contrived, I think, is a good word. It also provides a really interesting, um, a really easy 
kind of uh, foil or excuse or, you know, moment on the calendar to decide to do certain things that you might be doing otherwise throughout the year. Right. But it's a double-edged sword too, right? Because like is. in business, yeah. I remember having conversations about, well, we really shouldn't have a Hispanic Heritage Month sales package because every month is Hispanic Heritage Month, but then you realize, yeah, but these companies all set aside a bunch of money. And if we don't go get it, why would anybody else? Right. And then you're like, find yourself building the, the package or the product, whatever it is, for that particular budget. Uh, that's that's true. But I think that's kind of the problem, right? So much of what we're driven is, is driven based on consumer purchasing patterns, on advertising. And I think that's the issue. I mean, if I'm going to pick one that I really hate is Cinco de Mayo. I hate Cinco de Mayo. Like, yeah. There's absolutely nothing positive in my mind about that. And nothing American. It, there's <laughs> nothing American. You know, like, yeah, I guess not. I mean, there's nothing. It, on the Latino side, it's just it's not at all related to, it's so far removed from what it actually represents, right? right? Which is the Battle of Puebla, um, which is this, for those that don't know, is the fight that Mexico had against uh, the French. The French, that's what I mean. It's like it's. Won that battle, lost the war, but we don't won that battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it sort of that day represents. But it's it's really more of a beer uh, day, right? A day for Corona <laughs> to spend a lot of money. Holiday. Yeah. And for people to dress like idiots and um, in, in their attempt, air quotes, of looking Latino. So there's that to me. There's actually zero value there because it really is not even recognizing the culture. At least you can say Hispanic Heritage Month. It's, it may still feel a little contrived, but but there is a much better attempt. I, I oh, think, it's a much bigger. It's a much bigger umbrella, much bigger tent. It's about yeah. all Latinos and recognizing the contribution. Right, but I think there is that orientation of recognizing the culture. That's much what I mean. More, yeah, right. Where in Cinco de Mayo, like, hey, they just go all get drunk, drink Mexican beer, and and it's a perfect comedy of errors because number yeah, of course, because number one, it's an obscure thing that happened in the history broadly of countries that are not us. Number one, number two, people use it in a way to do something that has no relationship to that already kind of irrelevant event. Right. In other words, they to your point, right, they use it to do something that has nothing to do with recognizing mm-hmm. that war or what happened in that battle or who the players were, mm-hmm. but it just becomes like a celebration excuse, which I don't know how that happened besides, again, maybe good commercialization of it. So, yeah, that is a particularly well, egregious like, example. I mean, I haven't asked someone that is Irish, but do they feel the same way about St. Patrick's Day? No, because everybody likes to just get lit. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I have no I mean, idea. I don't know, right? I mean, it's 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 a little bit of the, I guess, a little bit of similar. Although I have to well, imagine St. Patrick has, has a lot more like actual tie-in. For sure, St. Patrick. I mean, that is his actual feast day, right? So the celebration right. of his feast day as a saint. Yeah, but who? How many people like really care that it's I actually St. Patrick? I don't think. I think like I'm going to wear green and get completely hammered. I think 86 percent of people have no idea that it's an actual person. Look, I mean, I think that's the case with cities like San Francisco. Francisco and San Diego, those are actually people. Los Angeles is named after a person, right? Mm -hmm. Our Lady of the Angels, like San Francisco, St. Francis of Assisi. So people, St. Louis, the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, St. Louis the ninth was the, the, the King of France. I mean, you know, also a saint. So I don't think people, I think the same people, same percentage know St. Patrick's as know those things. And it's a very low percentage, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably the same percentage that would find no controversy in our deep dive today is the same percentage that knows all of these uh, associated holidays and the and the patrons because yeah. it's a pretty pretty dicey uh, or it can be a, a controversial issue. Right? By the way, I was going to ask you: Did you see any of these fights that happened over the over the weekend Which uh, one? from Thriller? Uh, thriller. It was um, Thriller, right? Thriller, yeah, yeah not Thriller. Thriller. Um, 
It was supposed to be... I would be, watch it if it was Thriller. Yeah, it was supposed to be Oscar Loya fighting, which he no. didn't because he got super sick with COVID. Uh, but it ended up being Holyfield versus uh, an MMA guy, v- Vitor uh, Belfort. Oh, Vitor Belfort, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which I didn't, I didn't actually don't know who It he, was a boxing match? I heard his name, but I never... Yeah, like, for seen sure. Yeah, Classic guy. MMA guy. Yeah, it was a boxing match. It was... It was that one. Also, who fought earlier? Who won? Wait, I'll, I'll tell you right now. It was so those they fought. You also had um, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on both those guys. You blank? Come on. Yeah, I know that's terrible. So, uh, Silva, yeah, Anderson Silva oh, versus Anderson Silva. Uh, Ortiz, uh, who was also MMA Tito guy. Ortiz. Tito Ortiz. The whole thing oh, I did see that. I did see a clip from that. So embarrassing. Anderson Charlie. Silva knocked him out. Right? Yeah, but the whole thing is embarrassing. Embar- I mean, all of it, up and down. Right. I mean, looking at the Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz fight, Tito looked like he never fought a day of his life. It's like these some of these MMA guys are so awkward boxing. It's like they have no idea what's happening. It's like literally it's the first time they've ever received boxing gloves is the second they're walking into the into the ring. Because boxing isn't fighting. That's right. It's, a, it's just a very different sport. So it's, I mean, at this point, it's getting so ridiculous. Yeah. And you see some of these fights. The whole thing with uh, um, Holyfield versus Belfort. I mean, Holyfield got knocked out like immediately. The dude, he swung and almost knocked himself out just on the swing. Like He's 86 he years so old, though. worn I mean, out. I mean, how old is he? 58. Yeah, um, close. 86. But and it, I know it was like a last-minute thing that he came onto the fight because of Oscar, you know, having to tap out. Uh, but it's just... So bad, so bad. Yeah, it's a, mix, um, it's a mixed bag though, because some people would say, yeah, but it's uh, reinvigorating interest in boxing, and maybe it bleeds over into other things. And these guys could, are making a lot of money. I can see that all... argument in the case of Jake Paul mm-hmm. that is bringing in a new audience. Don't think that this doesn't have it all to do with him, though. I mean, I think, oh he's... yeah, you know, for sure it does. But I'm saying I could see that argument with someone like Jake Paul, right? That is who actually, to his credit, takes it seriously. I mean, that guy looks like a box compared to all these dudes. It's so embarrassing, Charlie. It's yeah. like you have these guys that... Well, they're three times his age, though. I mean, come on. Not just three times his age, but I, I've, I think it's a combination of that. They're older. They're also people that just don't box at all. Yeah. And, pro, and I don't know. Maybe they're just kind of so much the fact that they're athletes or they have been athletes that they could just show up in a ring and I think pretend pe- to box. It's just so bad. It's, it's None of it is boxing. I anymore. think they're tapping into part of the initial allure of MMA back in the day. I'm talking about 90s. Yeah. When it first got started was this idea that you would see different disciplines battle one another to see who had supremacy. Right. Right. So the karate guy with the jujitsu, the shoot fighter with the, um, you know, uh, kung fu, the karate dude with the Greco-Roman wrestling. And it was this kind of great, you know, mm-hmm. Avengers style idea. Yeah, I've ever seen those. Yeah, remember? And, and that kind of went away. Like the sumo wrestler versus like the kung fu guy. But think about that. That kind of went away in it MMA. Yeah, and yeah, MMA got very organized around like, yeah, we're just mixed martial arts. That's the whole point. It's right. mixed martial art. Right. But it wasn't mixed as in two people from different disciplines. It was it's you all have a li- yeah. you have a little bit of all the, dis- the disciplines in each fighter. Yeah. And interestingly, even though the performance got better, the athletics, the all that stuff got better. The that kind of like childhood mystique of battling these weird right. things went away, and I think this thriller stuff is bringing some well, of that back. I, I think what it what it was to what it became is like it went about it went from being like which is the best fighting discipline that could win out. Like if you if you have someone that is a kickboxer versus a sumo wrestler, like what wins. Yeah. Which was initially to now like well, the best athlete that could win. Right? And the answer is, we figured. Makes, but, by the way, we figured out what wins. Yeah, but if what you're a wrestler, first what, of all, you're going to win most of the time in, in MMA. Right. People well, with wrestling backgrounds They dominate. do really well. They but, I, but, there's, but there's somebody that even better, though, than, than wrestling is jiu-jitsu. Uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I think just really? goes very well. Yeah, I think people with strong wrestling backgrounds, they they dominated. Yeah, but look at like all the 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 classic uh, Gracie versus like uh, what's his face, the guy who was a wrestler. Uh, I mean, Dan sure. Severin and all those guys. They lost because at the end of the day, they get put in an arm bar or some crazy thing, sure. and you know what I mean? It was over. So I think jujitsu mm-hmm. kind of distinguished itself as a uniquely effective fighting discipline through MMA. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely like, kind of hit the scene. At least I wasn't as aware of jujitsu. I heard of it, but not to the degree. It was like uh, uh, Hoist Gracie when I saw that guy dominating yeah. people. When he would just throw himself on the on his back and be like, "Yep, come come at me," mm-hmm. and literally wait people to, to try to pounce on it, which seems so counterintuitive, and then he will choke him out, armbar, all kinds a, of things. And it was people a, don't know what was happening. When, when well, it was to fight also him. a little weird and unfair with the gi because he would wear the karate outfit, and yeah. then he would you he would grab onto the gi to hold his own arm like in a lock position, yeah. where normally you'd have to hold your fingers together to try to keep. And but, so, but like, so it was additional though. leverage. It, it was, but it's so counterintuitive. But right? it was because just it's rope dope. Like, the guy's gonna is. get tired. And you're going to choke him out. I'm just glad in this case, the COO Triller came out and basically said, we're stepping away from exhibition stuff only. Like, they've gone so much blowback. This thing, this fight should have never been sanctioned. Holyfield had, be- that had no business being in the ring. All of it was just embarrassing. That, like, that this Triller is like one company, of the worst. Triller strikes me as almost, they have like a certain vibe of like the off Vegas Strip Casino. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's got a little bit of a trashy vibe to it. It does. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. can expect yeah. to see somebody just throwing up in the corner. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so not surprising that this has gone just, south. But no, yeah, I didn't see I saw was, the clip of- It's, uh, it's terrible. It's of, terrible. Um, and as someone that actually likes Anderson. boxing, it's, it's embarrassing to watch. Yeah. It embarrassed me to watch to watch these guys. It's like it, it, it's embarrassing for them because they're actually these guys are like are real athletes. Yeah, they're but that's real what, fighters. The last thing we're going to remember. That's right. But Jesus, what we can do? To, how we can tie this into what we actually want to talk about? I, I'm about to watch this. Watch <laughs> this magic. This. this magic is none of the people that we've discussed are obese. Correct? So far? I guess not. No. None of them no, are obese. No, are obese. Okay. And the guy the guy who kicked off the inspiration for our deep dive is the CEO of Sweetgreen. Oh, who Sweet actually Green. got into some heat by a LinkedIn post connecting COVID COVID deaths to obesity. That's right. So there's my uh that's a parallel sweat, connectivity. What we call it in the business a stretch. stretch. But anyways, let's uh let's get into it. Cause um you're right. So the founder and CEO of Sweetgreen, Jonathan Newman. Uh, recently set up some controversy, right? Uh, because of this now-deleted LinkedIn post, which you mentioned, which you talked about the link between obesity and the deadliness of the pandemic. Can I, can I just ask, right from the get-go, is he yeah. doing a LinkedIn post because he doesn't want anybody to see it? Like, is that the... F- you know what I mean? Like, you know, we hear about tweets, f- Facebook posts, you know what I'm saying? Like, this may be the first story where it was a LinkedIn post controversy. Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's... It, but it's interesting because it also speaks to the evolution that LinkedIn has gone through. It has. It's so much more COVID. now as a social totally. network. Totally, 100%. Much closer to a Twitter than what it ever or was before. Uh, and and they're see, encouraging that type of content yeah, too. and you see the kind of content people are put up. You see the kind of content that you would never see in, um, in, in a kind of work kind of setting. I also think it speaks to, well, you and I talked about even the genesis of this podcast, the fact that now in work settings, this whole issue where we say, like, if you want to play nice, you don't talk about business or po- – I'm sorry, about religion or politics, right? And you kind of keep that off, you know, off the business uh, sort of realm. But the reality, all that stuff is intermixed now. And you see so much of that on LinkedIn. It's, it's as a platform, I think, has evolved significantly. So, yeah, I don't know why he chose LinkedIn necessarily to, to say this. But in this post, which kind of got him in trouble or at least got, you know, pushback, 
he basically was saying that no vaccine or mask is going to save us and even proposed taxes on processed food and refined sugar. So basically, his main point he was making is like, look, we look at the data, 70% of hospitalization are due to, co- uh, due to COVID are people that are obese and, uh, and overweight. Which eight, really out of, sh- eight out of 10. Which really should be or not. I mean, yeah, it's like it's, it's overweight or, uh, or obese, right? Right. So it's eight out of ten, roughly, of eight the hospitalizations. We'll, we'll get into for that. COVID. Give me a look at that number. It's a, it, it, that number, by the way, does. And I looked at this. It actually comes from a CDC report that was published back in March of this year, right? right so but, that that stat is coming out directly from. But from but, the CDC. The, but but some of these things, like uh, the government definition of obesity, too. Well, or I want to talk about that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I wait. I'm five eight, and I'm two hundred and ten pounds. I'm obese. But I'm for sure. But I, you know, I can do I can do functional fitness and you know pull ups and stuff and things that maybe some people can't. So, right. but technically, I, I fall into that category, mm-hmm. and I don't think I am. I don't think no one no one thinks they are, Charlie. That's part of the problem. That's the reason, the reason we, we got Come here. On, I was waiting so, for some so, affirmation. So part of it is that. is definitely that, which we'll talk about. Um, now, in this post, he continue. Is there an underlying problem that perhaps we have not given attention to? something that the CDC has pointed to as, as being one of the factors that can make someone more likely to get severely ill from COVID-19, right? Now, he continued, we cannot run away from it and no vaccine nor mask will save us. In full disclosure, I am vaccinated to support others to get vaccinated. What if we made the food that is making us sick illegal? What if we tax processed food and refined sugar to pay for the impact of the pandemic? Right, which is, you know, controversial maybe, but interesting thoughts. That interesting thought. Interesting I mean, thoughts, not the sure. solution and radical in my mind, of but course, still. Of course, there yeah. was immediate pushback, right? Accusing him of basically being fat phobic and being the CEO. And of course, as a CEO. Which is crazy that that's one of the initial. I mean, I, I get that that's going to be pushback, but like, why wouldn't the first pushback be like, you know, I find it offensive that you would want to outlaw what people might want to eat. Like, that seems to me like a more fundamental reason to be appalled by something that he may have suggested. Putting aside that I, I the fact it, that he's got interesting questions. I, I think that that comment squarely lies on where you, like, what your view is of America, I think. If you're in a freedom first and freedom first, second, third, fourth, then you should be like, wait a minute. I don't want you dictating what I can eat or can't eat. If I want to eat burgers all day long and die from it, that's on me. Yeah, libertarian kind of viewpoint. Yeah, and it's like people that, that, that think that way, right? Um, as a matter of fact, I'm blanking right now. There was one of the one of the shows, it was either a cartoon or something where they basically, oh, no, it wasn't a cartoon. It was a one of my favorite TV shows from back in the day is Parks and Recreation. You've yeah, seen this, Parks right? Yeah, Parks and Rec, of course. So one of the things that they did is they, they put a new legislature to get rid of these like massive drinks that oh, people would yeah, have, I remember right? That like soda drinks. Yeah. And people Don't were like, mess with my livid, that it was basically ounce. like, it was bigger than that. It was like a buck. It was like, yeah, a buck. It was it was like, like ridiculous, right? right? They had to make the point. They had to make the point, but people yeah. were so offended that they would put yeah. any kind of regulation around like what they could drink, which in essence is kind of liberal what this guy's saying, right? I mean, not a little bit. It's actually, he's saying that directly. And I think the other thing, of course, people are saying not just a fat shaming, but saying like, hey, but also you happen to be the CEO of this like posh salad place that directly <laughs> benefits from some of those policies that you're talking about. So that feels extremely self Let's outlaw my competitors. Right. Which but, is basically what he was but suggesting is as a like, question. It's an interesting conversation, which really got us kind of sort of thinking like, well, what, you know, does he, A, does he have a point? And what is the impact beyond COVID that we should be talking about, Right. So as an example, one thing that I, you know, I was thinking about one of the questions here is, look, as a country, we have both become much more accepting of different body types, which is good, but have also become way less healthy as, as people, which is bad, right? So you have this sort of dynamic, 
more accepting. I like that. But also when you look at, and we'll look at some of the stats right now, I mean, it's gotten out of control in terms of some of the obesity rates. Of course, you got to look at the way that we said obesity is defined. But even putting that to the side, we no, know I think, people are I think much more sedentary. For sure. Eat terrible for the most part. Um, and, and I think, just, I think yeah. part of getting to a good place on this discussion is being able to speak clearly and truthfully and openly about some things that are just objectively true. Yeah. Obesity is a comorbidity. Yeah. For sure. It's, it's, it, or, it's, or morbidity or whatever. It's something that- To a bunch of things. And it's, to a it's bunch not of things. Just, it's not just COVID. Like to a bunch well, of things. Well, of course. COVID we're going through right now. But even right. if you weren't going through COVID, you know, add obesity to whatever, diabetes, list, alcoholism. Yeah. It's, it's all, I mean, high blood pressure, high LDL cholesterol, cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, coronary heart disease, stroke, gallbladder, glad, gallbladder disease. I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gallbladder. I mean, it's yeah. a- there's all kinds of things. Even mental illness, uh, such as clinical depression and anxiety, these are all things that get impacted by obesity. What's the obesity rate right now? So, yeah. So I looked at this report. So according to the 2020 State of Obesity Report, which was published by the CDC. So this is basically looking at 2019 data, okay? But it was published in 2020. It says the U.S. adult obesity rate is 42.4%, which is the first time it's actually over 40%. It's massive. Which so, has increased so that, so by 26% since 2008. That means that 42.4% of all adults are obese? Correct. Correct. Wow. Yeah. That, that deserves a moment massive. of silence. Yeah. So two, uh, think of two out of five people are obese. Right? Yeah. Right. Two out of five people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's almost yeah. half. A little more. It's almost yeah, half. Yeah. Is the way I would think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost half. Uh, but that's, yeah, it's massive. And it's increased, once again, by 26% since 2008, right? Now, within that, when you break it out by ethnicity, this is also pretty scary, you know, data we look at this. Diverse people are especially impacted, right? So the highest as a group are black adults at 49.6%, so basically half. And that number is driven by black women at 56.9%, so almost 57%. So 57% of black American women are obese. Right. I mean, that's, that's a massive, massive number, right? Latino adults are at 44.8%. In most these cases, once again, higher than the average, right? Uh, And white adults are at 42.2%, so just below the average. And Asian adults are at 17.4%, which is is interesting when you you think about some of the cultural... uh, Yeah, the stereotypes. I was actually listening to a a podcast... uh, this morning with Joe Rogan, and I forget the name of the chef that he had on the podcast, Asian-American chef. And he talks about, I think his background, I want to say it's Chinese. And he was just talking about like, you know, the way that, you know, family kind of culture kind of eat. A lot yeah. of it is like food with rice. It's like, you're going to eat rice and then you're going to have other stuff with yeah. rice. So and when you think the about- rice is like the plate. Right. And when you think about uh, many of the sort of diet, diet guidance and how much is like people talk about being like less carb heavy- and we think about you know population that is very card heavy, with the rice being literally like a staple of every meal. It's interesting that they're so low. It's everything else, of course, right? And in other dynamics, but it is interesting that they're so low from an obesity standpoint. There's a number of interesting cultural things about that, though. I mean, outside of China, I think of Japan, Vietnam, uh, you know, other Asian countries. There's a there's a propensity to eat with the food. There's this bowl dynamic where you're holding the food in a bowl in your hand, and eating from that rather than eating from a table. And there's something about like taking, you know, more measured bites from a portion you're holding in your hand that I think ties into some of this. Because look, you can also make the case scientifically 
carbohydrate-rich uh, carbohydrate or heavy diet is also not good for you, right? Right. That's There's not, definitely the benefits making, of yeah. keto and all that stuff. Yeah. So you can't go like, oh, well, the Asians are a lot less obese and they eat rice, so therefore we should all eat rice. Right, right, I think right. there's a number of cultural things that make that experience different for them. Don't you think even the the dynamic of eating with chopsticks? Of just course, makes, it's more just measured slows bites. You down just a little of bit course more, it does. Right? No, 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 no. That's actually a very serious thing because yeah. if you're eating smaller bites, that means that your system is you know processing this stuff right, right? In, a, in a in a different way, and you get full. Um, you, you know, you can take these little like chopsticks and put you know ten or fifteen of them, and by the time you're done. Or you're full, right? right? As opposed to, let me have this steak in front of me with a fork and a knife, cut one giant thing. My first bite is 40% <laughs> of my stomach's capacity, right? And you feel like you have to finish it. So you right. end up overeating. No, right. this is very true. No, that is true. So portion size significantly. You see this when you travel anywhere, anywhere outside of the U.S. Portion size here is just so much larger than anywhere else. The more interesting thing to me, and perhaps more controversial, is we keep seeing white and Asian as let's say paired in a lot of these multicultural data that we look at Asians paired with whites as a, in opposition to, in most cases, right. uh, Latinos and blacks, right? So here again, whites and Asians have an under index of obesity. The whites, not as much. Yeah. The they're Asians, in the same group. Unfortunately, I think Asian is it's almost like the outlier here. I mean, there's so much lower Asian's than everybody Asian's the else. outlier. Right. 17% versus everyone else is in the forties. Correct. Right? But what I mean, I'm saying is again, uh, just the thematically though, generally right. speaking, maybe there's a, a, you know, is there a, uh, a whatever cl- class, there is definitely class, education. Education. There's all these that all play a factor, right? By the way, the, to me, one of the saddest things looking at this data is actually for children, right? So for children aged 2 to 19, uh, they are 19%, 19.3% obese, right? This is up from 5.5% from the mid-70s. So it's How almost a 4X. Is that? That's almost a 4X, dude. How crazy is that? That's in one generation. That's nuts. A 400% increase in one generation, in one generation of obesity. Think about that. Well, how can you not directly correlate this to the fact that in the 70s, kids were outside? Uh, this is outside. There's the food as well. Kind of all of these things, right? The amount yeah. of activity, technology, paying a factor to your point, paying a factor of people just being a much more sedentary, like all of that. You know, we, we talk about this all the time, right? When Growing up as a kid, the argument with your parents is like, come back inside and do your homework or come in to eat or whatever. Now it's like get, get people out of your, off, get get out people, your room. Yeah, get out of your room. Go outside. Go, go outside. do something. Yeah. Like get off the computer. Get off your phone. Now, in general, right, the more a person earns, the less likely they are to have obesity, right? That's a little bit what we're talking about. Individuals with less education are also more likely to have obesity, right? Rural communities have higher rates of obesity and severe obesity than do suburban and metro areas. Yeah. I also think, too, when it comes to some of those breakdown by, by ethnicity, a lot has to do with where people live. We've talked about the dynamic of people living in food deserts where the only options are these fast food options that are more... They're more economically viable, but they're also significantly worse for, you know, in terms of like for your body, et cetera, to actually be, you know, be eating these And things. for those people who might think, well, why don't you just go to the supermarket in the food deserts? Even those supermarkets, there are bargain basement brand of supermarkets that have been created for these food desert environments. When you walk into them, you know, like Food Lion and all these different, there's just crappy food there, even yeah. if it's a supermarket. Yeah, there is. So it, it did prompt the question because I was kind of because I was looking at this. I'm like, well, what is actually is considered? Um, uh, by the way, actually, one of the questions I had is like, especially going back to the first point about about uh, 
the the connection between obesity and being overweight, right? That's seventy eight percent with hospitalizations due to COVID, right? So that's a pretty really high number, right? High high uh, high uh, so, like correlation between between those two between those those two numbers. When we look at the actual percentage of Americans that are considered either obese or overweight, right? Because we talked about the forty the forty percent being just for obesity, or that forty two percent being just for obesity. When you look at obese or overweight. Uh, for adults age 20 and over, it's actually 71.6%. Hmm. So that, when I hear that, it actually takes away, in my mind, quite a bit from looking at the data and saying that there is a really high direct um, um, you know, cause and effect between obesity or being overweight, let's just say, right, and, and, and COVID hospitalization when the entire population is just that high to begin with. It's more effective than just what the entire population already is. Mm-hmm. There's almost like a 72% of adults being considered overweight, uh, including obesity, right? Which is all based on, um, um, this is all based on on basically looking at people's uh, BMI, right? Body mass index. So in terms of definitions, right? Overweight is defined as a BMI between 25 and 29.9. Percent of your body that's made up of fat. Correct. Right. And then a BMI of 30 or higher is considered obese, right? Okay. So I, I checked it on myself uh-huh. to see what it was. Now, this is not like a true BMI test that you would do like at a gym or whatever. Some of the, mm-hmm. they do these things. This is simply just putting your weight, height, et cetera. So at 168 pounds, so I fluctuate. I'm usually in a good day, 165 to all the way to 170, kind of go between those two, right? At 168 pounds, my BMI is 24.8, which would be considered normal. Right, at 169 pounds, my BMI is 25, which is not considered overweight. You're considered overweight at 169. Right now, yeah. I'm, I'm 169, so, so basically, I will be considered. Yeah. I will be in the overweight category. So we have to. There has to be some discounting then of these percentages. I think a little bit, right? Because yeah, I could be accused of a lot. I think that's probably not one that I will get a lot. But look, we're one of the things that came up to me when I when we decided to talk about this because it's definitely you know a topic you and I have discussed, right? What country? How much? Oh, what is lacking in our communication around COVID, around how people should be um, increasing their level of overall health as a way to avoid either, you know, a stronger COVID negative reaction or avoid it in general? Like, what contribution does that thought have to all of this? Mm-hmm. Because what everybody is concerned about is vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. That's what seems to, right. go, you know, dominated the overall conversation. And right. there's more to discuss than that. So, sure. so, so, but one thing I thought about where I do agree with this guy, even though uh, there's a lot of stuff that I actually take issue with. But one thing that I do think about is I just got back from Ohio, as you know, I was visiting um, my father-in-law who's in the hospital. He just had double lung transplant surgery. Okay. This dude's been in the ICU for like a month recovering from this, right? You got to put in like this huge robe from head to toe. You got to wear gloves, face, like everything you can imagine just to visit the guy and there's a thousand machines and pipes and tubes and all stuff. And he's getting the best care in the world and amazing, all good. I'm sitting there visiting and the dude comes with the food, right? Mm-hmm. Which he's not even eating solid food. Like he was actually transitioning from the feeding tube to eating solid food. Right. And what do you have in the tray? You ready for this? All right. Vanilla ice cream, uh, just regular dare, like red, you know, red cap milk, Right. Uh, like rice, some piece of meat with like a bunch of gravy on top of it, butter, a bunch of different stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we, the amount of time, energy, expertise, all this stuff, this amazing precision to put another human being's lungs inside of you and make them work, right? right? 
and we're basically bringing up a tray of food I could have bought at a gas station. Right. Like, and you're putting that in you, and there's no thought to this, Jesus. There's no thought. This is in a hospital. In a hospital. Right. That is is the sad reality where we're in. Look, we can, because even when we think about the BDMI thing, uh, BMI, I'm sorry, uh, BMI, um, the boss, the the body Body mass, mass body mass index. Yeah. We can debate at the at the edges what it maybe should be. And so discard cases, the edges, right? then. Just yeah, throw forget the edges, the edges. Away. But when you look at at the the broader trend of obesity rates and how that just continues to go up, and especially when we think about for kids, like going right to that point, right, five percent to now 20, nineteen, basically. like almost twenty, like that is crazy. I mean, we are definitely going in the wrong direction, and unfortunately, I think we're in a situation where there is such. Even stigma to some degree of having the real conversation with people that, hey, you like also have to take care of yourself a little bit better. Like I was telling a story and I don't want to like call out the person that 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 told me this, but it's um, a friend of ours who was telling me this. And, you know, she was describing this, this situation where she went to a doctor um, in, uh, in TJ. And we'll do like a checkup, et cetera. And That's the doctor. Uh, Tijuana for all our white yeah, listeners. Yeah, Tijuana. And the doctor was like older guy. It was just brutal with her. We're like, hey, you got to lose weight. You got to lose weight like right now. And this is how much your weight you're over. And like, there was no hesitation, no thought about, am I going to hurt your feelings by, by saying this? It was like, you at your age and the way that you have, like, that is not okay. You need to drop weight. You want to be healthy? You want to live? Like, you got to live longer? And this is someone that, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's overweight and, and someone that recognizes and probably want to do something about it. But to have that kind of honest, brutal conversation with people, and I know it's not the popular thing to say, but there's also something, that's, you know, to, to be given to that. The other thing, the other story I, was, I will tell you is, like, my daughter does gymnastics, right? And it's, it was, it kind of reminds, this reminds me how easy it is to just get offended and the reaction be to protect, you, you know, individuals, yourself, et cetera, rather than actually listen to, like, is there a truth to what this person is saying? When these kids are all started coming back from being all at home because of COVID, right, in, in, in the last year, one of the comments that she made uh, to me and, and, and my daughter's mom is like, hey, like, you know, I think s- some of the kids have gained weight. We got to, like, get them back in shape. And these are all kids that you look at them and no have a reaction that says any of these kids are – they're all, like, super lean, right? But in her mind, <laughs> this is like a – it's also a cultural thing, right? She's Russian. Like, there is like a – I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking without thinking, like, am I hurting your feelings? Because she's like, I want these kids to compete. They need to be better. And she was like brutally just going – and we're looking at each other like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Like, is this, are you talking about our daughter? Are you talking about, like, someone else's kid? Look at her like – our kid looks like pretty pretty athletic here, but at the same time, you listen to them like maybe there is some truth to that, and, and that's a little bit of an extreme case. But we don't have any of that, I think. Yeah, for the most part, and I think that's having a direct impact on the overall health of of, of individuals or people, and it has a, a major major impact on healthcare costs on these kinds. Of, I mean, including COVID, there's definitely a correlation here, right? That we're just on much unhealthier as a society because of this. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. By the way, I can imagine the. The trainer lady, whatever, whatever it was. The, she was, the kids, they are too heavy. They're too yeah, heavy. Exactly. They must be leaner. Yeah, it we was. We must get them was, to run uh, very hard. Yeah. And, you know, I hurt my feelings a little bit. I wanted to, like, immediately respond to them. Like, like no, I'm man. Gonna, I'm going to hold that. Just, just you know. 
Yeah, I I, th- I think that's look, like the natural reaction though for for, for most of us, for right? sure. whether it's for our kids, whether it's for ourselves, but like no one set that conversation. The other, well, uh, here's the other thing that really helped me understand it, and you know, I, I think we can dissect this particular person's comments, but the point of bringing into the discussion what role we have to play with our own health, I think, is an important one. Here's one thing that always helped me. We obsess, or a lot of people do obsess, if you have an internal combustion engine car, which is increasingly less of out there with all the electric stuff that's going on. But you used to obsess with like what kind of octane gas to put in your car. There was like octane boosters. There's a kind of oil, this kind of weight, all these different things, these very fine-tuned things. And people who are into that like spend time and money and energy on these things. And that's and the, what you put into a car dramatically impacts it, its performance. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. And now you imagine a significantly more complex engine, which is the human body. And the amount of time, again, this hospital example is mind-blowing, but the amount of time that we think about what happens to stuff we put in our bodies and what it does is so small relative to the amount of time we might think of other things, right? Again, the car example or, you know, there's a number of them. But my point is that we are significantly more complex in a car. And we don't oftentimes spend a lot of time thinking about the kind of stuff we put in us. And we kind of come to the end of the road and have these different issues. And we want to look around in some cases for quick fixes or other things. And I don't blame anybody for doing that. But the reality of it is, is that you got to start almost at a foundational level, right? Mm -hmm. And take a hard look at the lifestyle. Because if you have a nine-year-old who 40 years ago was 5% obese and now is 20% obese, I I don't know that there's a quick fix to that. That's a ground you know, ground up restructuring of how that person is actually living to make an impact there. Don't you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I, I think like we've got so good at focusing around a number of things, but we're not really paying as much attention as we should to this, which I think is really fundamental and it contributes dramatically to how we live our lives and how, how we're going to be impacted. Yes. By COVID, even if it's unpopular to say has a big role to play in that. Doesn't mean you won't get sick. Doesn't mean you can't die, right. but it's like to me, it's almost the corollary of like the vaccine will, yeah, you can still get it, but you're gonna do you're gonna fare a lot better, right? Same thing with health. You For can sure. get it, but you're just gonna you're gonna be a lot better off. And I don't know what's controversial about that. I, I, or at least it shouldn't be. How do you reconcile, Charlie, the, what feels like a like at all time high in terms of awareness around wellness? Uh, being a focus for a lot of people, being a lot of conversation. You have so many different like companies that are specifically built around wellness. I've never seen as much focus on wellness as, as we have now. Some of them on mental health, of course, but also like physical wellness, et cetera. And yet this also, this dynamic taking place. I think because most of that wellness is being communicated through things that ma- that keep you immobile. I think a lot of that wellness is still contrib- uh, communicated or wellness tactics and strategies communicated through screens and communicated through immobility, right? So I think that's part of it. I think also that we're very focused on self right now. Our culture is very focused on itself, myself, my well-being, mm-hmm. what I'm doing. There's this kind of like feedback loop that we're creating among, amongst ourselves. And that means we're oriented inwardly and not outwardly. If we're oriented outwardly, I think that there's health benefits. If we're only oriented inwardly, I think that you get situations like this. So I would say those two things. I also think there is an orientation to comfortable wellness, things that are easier to do that makes us feel better about ourselves. Hey, yeah. I'm going to do a detox. I'm going to yeah. drink this. I'm going to eat that. Just something that is good, it's good. And that's great. That's fine. But part of the the sad reality or maybe the reality of some administration is some of it just requires work. Of course it to does. To actually like 
getting it yourself hurts. back and it hurts and it's people it's a pain yeah. in the ass you don't want to do it like but that's a very that's important the, that's principle. A tough thing, yeah. It's a very important principle, and it has ramifications and implications well beyond health. I mean, it's got, you know, mental wellness, spirituality, yeah. all these things. Is that, you know, sometimes you have to go through something difficult, suffering, in order to get to, you know, break down before you break through, right? And we don't want to break down. We just yeah. want to break through constantly, and that's a, you know, that can be a, a situation where you're just, you know, being self-referential all day. And frankly, the evidence or the data here supports. Uh, supports that unfortunately is happening so yeah i think one of the missed opportunities that we've, we've definitely have had in this moment is that just just this hasn't been enough of the conversation yeah. there hasn't been enough things being put in place for longer term healthiness of of, of people in general and and really putting up the, that education especially in a during a time where it's really important where it can make a difference right now i don't think it should supplement or replace the immediate, right, which is like, hey, make sure you're taking care of yourself, you're getting vaccinated, you're doing whatever you need so you don't get sick. But if you're neglecting the second part, which is like, it's also like start working, uses the moment of inflection to have healthier lives to begin with. And some of the starts with putting in that, you know, that kind of work. That it's a great about. opportunity for reset. You know, that's yeah. actually the theme, uh, just last point, going back to my father-in-law is like, look, he had a, a difficult health journey. Now he's had this incredible, you know, uh, traumatic surgery, but he's got a great opportunity to hit the reset button and right. start fresh doing different things. I think we all have that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Coming out of COVID, doing also hit the reset button and do some of the things differently. And, and we have been, right? We've been doing a lot of new things, but take this as a moment to basically start afresh and right. try to reverse some of this stuff. I mean, we kind of need these big moments of inflection in order to change big trends. Otherwise, they don't change. So I think this is an opportunity that's within all this stuff. Uh, agree. Cool. So should we move on? Let's move on. Courage or cringe? Courage or cringe. Boom. Okay. Did, What's, did the sound effect already happen or is it? it, did, it I don't, I don't I'm, know. I was going to react to it, but I'm not sure if it happened. Re I think not. you should react. React now. Oh, I love that. <laughs> love that. <laughs> It's the magic of audio. Uh, courage or cringe? The FEC or the Federal Election Commission dismisses claim that Twitter illegally blocked a Hunter Biden article. So, what? He, he, okay, uh -huh. that, I know there's a lot here. We need, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna punch through these. But what weight does their dismissal or their approval have on anything? In other words, what is the if the Federal Election Commission says you're right, your complaint is valid? What does that mean? There's no money. Like, what what happens here? What's the? Do you know? Like, That's I can see great the great question. The FCC, know. I can see. The FTC, I can see because they there can affect the way you trade or communicate or something. Yeah, there there has to be repercussion by them saying that it was a violation uh, because that's basically their role is to make sure that elections are done fairly. That basically they regulate how ele okay. elections are are done. I mean, we know this even from an advertising standpoint, right? In terms of uh, the amount of rates you have to you have to make available for for sure. any kind of candidate. There's yeah. rules specific around elections. So, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know what the what the what the ramification would be if if found guilty. Um, but yeah, so last fall, right, right at the height of the presidential race, Twitter decided to block users from posting links to a New York Post article about Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. It's a famous uh, laptop, right? The, that's right. The mm -hmm. piece alleged that. Mr. Biden, or you know, uh, the President Biden, had met with an advisor to a Ukraine energy company on whose board Hunter Biden served, right? And this was all sort of captured from this famous laptop that had been left at this 
um, like laptop repair repair place, right? And um, that's that was kind of the story, right? Now, this was something that was, of course, denied by the Biden campaign based on his official calendar. That's basically what they said, like, right? And this, and the whole thing is still very gray in terms of how much truth there is in there. <laughs> My POV is there's probably more truth than not in, in, that, in that situation. Uh, but this pushback by Twitter and other social media platforms immediately resulted in our, our cry from conservatives, right, claiming that big tech was once again aiding the election of Biden, right, or being anti-conservative, which led to the Republican National Committee filing a formal complaint with the Federal Election Commission, the FEC, accusing Twitter of using its corporate resources to benefit the Biden campaign. Well, the FEC now, uh, very recently, came back and actually dismissed those allegations. Now, now they said... Uh, they determined that Twitter's action regarding the Hunter Biden article had been undertaken for a valid commercial reason, not a political purpose, and was thus allowable, right? What was the valid commercial reason? Um, the, you know, they said that in – actually, well, there's two cases, right? That was one, and I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you the reason they said uh, – the second case was involved Snapchat. Um, and the commission used basically the same reasoning to reject the complaint from the Trump campaign – uh, the campaign had argued, the Trump campaign argued, that the company provided an improper gift to Mr. Biden by rejecting Mr. Trump from his Discover platform in the summer of 2020, according to another commission document. Right? Both of these both of these cases, though, um, have – the first problem with them is that they're making a little bit of a Hail Mary proposition. The, 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 the first part is they're claiming these platforms almost made an in-kind contribution to the Correct. campaigns mm -hmm. by virtue of the actions they took. An in-kind contribution would be you giving airtime, mm -hmm. you giving a uh, some platform or forum that otherwise wouldn't exist to the other party. Because to your point, the way that, the, that these things are managed is if you give the Republicans X, you have to give the Democrats X. If you give them Republicans Y, you have to give – it's very right. fairly done. So the first swag is it's a pretty high bar to say these guys are giving an in-kind contribution. I understand the point philosophically, but from a legal perspective, right. I can see why that's a hard hurdle to overcome, right? It, it is, right? And especially because of the reason why they didn't make the – like especially like for Twitter, right? So like the Federal Election Commission said in both cases that the companies had acted in their own commercial interests according to the factual and legal analysis provided by the, to the parties involved. The commission also said that for Twitter, they had followed existing policy related to hacked materials because that was the reason that was that, was that they Dorsey's. gave. And basically, they said, like, listen, they're following the policy that they have in place for hacked materials right, that they won't make it available. And therefore, based on that same policy, they didn't do something special for this, which is why I think at the end of the day, to your, the, to your point, yeah. that's the argument, like – even if it would have benefited Biden, sure. it doesn't matter because but, they follow their own protocol for how they handle this kind of But conflict. their own protocol with a layer of interpretation because nothing about the story suggested anything was hacked, right? So in other words, they read someone's come in contact with a laptop, right, that was left there, never picked up, became the property of, an, of the person who was repairing it then because they had their own policy. If you don't come back and get your stuff, it becomes mine after a certain amount of time. Then they had that laptop and they were making its contents available or the laptop available. They said that that was part of their hack yeah. policy. Well, my point is there's uh, some interpretation yeah, even in that. For sure, there's interpretation okay. of what you consider hacked, right? If you consider hacked to be access to content that you shouldn't have access to is one thing versus simply saying like this, this thing was left here long enough. And the whole thing is like left here long enough that now it's mine and therefore everything associated with this or access to any content that resides in the web Right. If it's in a cloud somewhere, now, it's now like, mine it's just because mine I have well. the hardware. Yeah. Like, no, that, I understand there's, that. There's uh, you know, a tricky one here. A gray there area, is. A minimum, right? Yeah, for sure. And all of this, of course, just added more fuel to the fire that conservatives feel that big tech is anti-conservative, right? So 
Courage or cringe, FEC protecting, protecting private businesses to enact their content policies or further boasting of liberal tech to influence uh, political outcomes. Yeah. Um, Charlie. So FEC, I actually looked it up. It's it's bipartisan. Um, the commissioners, there's six of them. They're uh, elected or assigned by the president, the sitting president. There are at currently three Republicans, two Democrats, and one independent on the, on the mm-hmm. commission. So it is bipartisan. Those are the people who actually make these rules. I still don't. And have the people it. that that made this, I guess now some people that made the call will still would have been assigned by President Trump. Is that correct? I, that, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. All switched out. I mean, when I think the he, comes in, right? they're on their way, right? So either if they haven't been switched out, they will be. But I, I don't know. My point mm-hmm. is that it's bipartisan. I still don't understand what power these people have. If the if the Republicans had been successful, what would that have meant? Right. Now that the case has been dismissed, what does that mean? I don't understand that. It looks a little rubber stampy to me. Look, at the end of this, I think there's three parts to this. I, I, I need out on cringe, but here, the, the three parts that, that I took into consideration, one is, like I said, a bit of a Hail Mary because you have to actually try to show that, they, that these companies, Twitter and Snapchat specifically, took an actual material action purposely in order to give an unfair advantage to one of the candidates. It's just kind of a high bar, a high bar right? Yeah. It's a high bar to, to hit. But I understand philosophically- and it's a stretch to argue that too. It's a stretch to argue it, but but so that's like your opening salvo in mm-hmm. this. It's going to be difficult, right? The, the FEC ruling also dismissed another thing, uh, uh, claims that Twitter was breaching election laws by shadow ban- banning Republican users or appearing to decrease the visibility of their posts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they dismissed that outright. Here, I mean, and again, we have to look at all these different proceedings, but I know that this stuff happens. Like, I know because it's happened, and I've showed you some of these examples happened to me. My friend just, and, and I don't know what you would call shadow banning, but right. my friend, Lila Rose, shout out to Lila, runs an organization called Live Action. They're a pro-life organization, right? Mm-hmm. They basically produce videos that show that, like all, like we talked about on the last show, Every, you know, scientist and every uh, embryologist would agree that a new life is created at conception, at fertilization is what you'd call it scientifically, not conception. Mm-hmm. Same thing, though. Anyway, so her, she's spending forty forty five thousand dollars $45,000 a month on Google, and she just got completely deplatformed, can't spend any money because she was promoting this video that actually showed biologically what happens inside of a woman, right? So... And, and, and the reason that Google uh, gave was that she was making unreliable claims. Okay. That's the reason that, they, that, that, that mm-hmm. they gave, right? And I can tell you everything that is in that video, Jesus, is literally from an embryology textbook, right? Okay. But because it's this organi- organization doing it, I, that kind of stuff happens a lot. And I, and I hear about it from a lot of people in my network. So I don't know whether you call that shadow banning or su- throttling or suppression or whatever mm-hmm. it is, but – how do we address those things that do happen and, and just saying, oh, well, you know, we dismiss that doesn't really get at the heart of some of these things that actually are happening. And, and, and I think that that's a lost opportunity, right? Um, and so anyway, look, for me, the, I guess I come down on cringe and it's not – I'm not putting this together very well, but I come I mean, down – you're making too – Too many points. Yeah, and also very different points. Um, well, I'm making a point about the 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 thing that they dismissed the idea of throttling and shadow banning, and like right. that that that's that doesn't happen in this case. Maybe it didn't in this case, but it does happen. Is my point? That's what I'm making. Right. Because I've seen it the, happen in my own life. Yeah, no, I I hear you on that. I think the other thing too, and I was trying to find out why you were saying this, but 
the thing where where not that it, I'm not arguing it doesn't happen, but where the where that narrative starts to fall apart a little bit is when you look at the most active social accounts. I think Facebook specifically, it's going to be like really conservative. Those are the ones that get the highest engagement. Um, that are people are much more active on the on the platform, which means that they're getting a lot more visibility on it. That doesn't mean that. To your point, that some of those get banned anyway, and in spite of that, it still generates because maybe they're more controversial, et cetera. But that's what and we, I know you and I have talked about it in this podcast, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so I won't pull it up. But that's mm-hmm. that is something that is has been reported on, which is it goes counter to maybe it goes directly in line. Like two things can be true; they could be both be the most yeah. actively engaged, social shared, et cetera, and still be to your point, shadow ban, whatever you want to call it. I, I think guess both f- things could be true. We talked about how both things can be true also on a recent show with Facebook, both promoting and supporting religious-based things. And then on the other side, the religious people feeling like they're being throttled and shadow banned, right? So you can maybe play both sides of the equation. In the comment that you just made, too, Mm -hmm. and I know it's not a one-to-one, but I I do hear a little bit of something we've heard in our business career. Like, oh, Latinos are 30% of the box office and we're not even advertising to them. Why would we? They're already there. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's, <laughs> I guess, the, yeah, it, sure. it's like, oh, the, 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 the conservatives have a lot of engagement. So there can't be anything wrong with their engagement. Like yeah. it doesn't necessarily follow. But It, it doesn't necessarily follow. But look, I, I agree with that. My, po- my point is uh, on this for no good reason, maybe that I just don't like federal bureaucracies. I'm a cringe on this because yeah. I don't think it's just as easy to say, hey – Nothing to see here. There was no advantage. <laughs> that we, Look that way. Look that way. There was no <laughs> advantage given at all to the Biden campaign by this pretty big story being basically taken off the service. And then Twitter, for one, Dorsey admitting he shouldn't have done that. But days after the fact were, frankly, some of the damage was done, right? If you're if you're if right, you thought it was right, beneficial, right. you'd think you'd view it as damage. Sure. So so like to just go oh dismissed like it just doesn't capture to well, my mind yeah, no, the I, impact I, I, of this I thing that. I think when I look at this uh, frankly I think your argument may be more lean even harder towards saying why it's courage because I think I agree with you I think the point that was being the reason why this began to be they started to begin with which is the Republican National Committee find this formal complaint saying that Twitter was using its corporate resources to benefit the Biden campaign that is just hard to prove in this case uh, uh, not looking at anything else, just simply that statement. Like, what started, what kicked off the start? Yeah, I agree with that. There's a Snapchat thing as well, but even that one is hard to argue that they're doing it specifically to benefit the Biden campaign. Um, so, for that, I mean, not taking anything for granted what you said, I think that is probably the simplest way of looking at this specific issue and saying why I end up being encouraged. Because I think that, that uh, it, it didn't reach that kind of threshold being to prove that this directly was to benefit Biden. Um, and at least it sounds like at least the reason why they claim to not have wanted to promote this at least sounds like it was consistent to their policy to begin with, right? So it wasn't like a special exception. Although we are going to talk about that in the third topic about special exceptions. So I'm 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 I'm, I'm excited about talking talking about. All that. right, let's go to let's go to number two. So topic number two: Courage or cringe? Pinterest accused of not paying female co-creator. Uh, so it's reported by the New York Times this past Monday, Christine Martinez sued Pinterest. In her suit, she accused Ben Silberman and Paul Ciara, uh, two of Pinterest's three co-founders, of breach of implied contract, idea theft, unjust enrichment, and unfair business practices. Now, she's alleging that she co-created Pinterest alongside with the plaintiffs by contributing ideas that were core organizing concepts, such as organizing images on boards and enabling e-commerce. Now, she was never formally employed by Pinterest, nor did she ask for a contract. 
She was not given stock, though she said Pinterest founders had verbally agreed to compensate her many times. She claims to have an implied contract and was also just part of it. She was also like really close friends with the, with the two co-founders, right? Now, to the matter, she said, I always expected that that when they could compensate me, they would. Uh, adding that she had been naive and that there will be there was there was never a doubt in my mind, right? She added to that they had no marketing background or exp- expertise in creating a product for women. My role was to always educate them. Now, according to Ms. Martinez, she helped the founders in a wide range of concepts, from its name and features to its marketing strategy and product roadmap. Now, she herself had launched an e-commerce startup called Llama Designs that has showed promise but apparently struggled uh, to raise money, right? But Pinterest, with basically an idea and credentials from the founders, got funded, so she was happy to help out her friends. Kind of stuff happens all the time. All the time, right? Now... To this, Pinterest responded via spokes, uh, spokeswoman that Ms. Martinez's allegations were without merit. Without the merit. Company with the Baseless accusations. Now, this incident was interesting. Once again, puts in question whether Pinterest, uh, which caters primarily to female users, is hostile to women with, and minorities in his workplace. Now, last summer, and I'm going to mess up this name, so I apologize. Just say person A, person B. Person no. <laughs> uh, Last name was Zoma. And nice. Erica, Soma, yeah. uh, Erica Banks, two former Pinterest employees, wrote on Twitter about the pay disparities, retaliation, and sexist, racist comments they had experienced at the company. Shortly after, Fran- Francois, maybe it's a yeah, Francois, Francois mm-hmm. uh, Brower, Pinterest's former chief operating officer, sued the company, claiming gender discrimination and retaliation. Now, the latter resulted in a settlement of $22.5 million for Ms. Brower. Wow. Which included a $2.5 million donation towards charities for women and underrepresented minorities in tech. Right? So this is... Wish we would have known about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so courage or cringe, opportunistic, uh, opportunist looking to cash in on a successful unicorn startup or ungrateful founders not doing the right, the right thing for those that helped them get there. I had to do some digging on this one to find out why are you bringing the suit now? Right. In yeah. other words, what's the moment that you're bringing? Because she went, said she didn't realize she wasn't going to get compensated until after Pinterest went public in 2019. Now, between 2019 yeah, and 20, that, and and now, it's almost 2022. Is my point. So that was years ago, and I know that legal proceedings take a long time. I found an answer to that potentially, oh, and um, well, what was the, answer? the answer was that there was a death in her family, and the death in her family gave her the kind of emotional. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gra- gra- whatever. The courage or desire or impetus right. to actually go forward with this lawsuit. And um, and she, you know, she filed it and she just doesn't want to, in her words, go to the grave knowing that this actually happened. It's a really interesting thing because, look, we've been around very early stage companies. We've done our own share of early stage company startups. And there's a lot of conversations that you have in the very beginning with a lot of people who oftentimes give you free advice, like all the time. You know, it's like, oh, you should consider this. A lot of those things are good ideas and you incorporate them. But in a, so one part about this that's dangerous is does that mean everyone who's given you advice just because you asked for it and they offered it now can make a claim over how that advice helped you to create a product? Like that's a real question because that happens all the time. Now, there's a difference in reasonableness about just advice you get on a call or in a conference or somebody just bump into is like, hey, you should do it in blue, not in red. Like there's that. And then there's somebody who has a material, daily, consistent, repeatable influence on your company for a sustained period of time. My reading of this evidence is that this woman was in the latter category. Yeah, she was in the category of somebody who was around pretty consistently, used as a platform to get advice from pretty consistently, represented the company in the public sphere pretty mm-hmm. consistently, in fact, did an appearance on Good Morning America to, to like promote the company back in whenever it was. 
all of those things, and the fact that she had a very close association with the with the founders, went to the guy's wedding, was a bridesmaid. Yeah, I mean, all yeah. these different things makes me feel that it was somebody who was in a much closer orbit than your typical just kind of guy who gives you the random advice because you asked, right? Yeah. For all those reasons, I'm on courage, um, and I think that it's an interesting case. I think that it's again, I'm making some assumptions. If I'm right about all this stuff, what I said, then I think it's it's good. If I'm wrong and she gets a big paycheck, I think that that could open up a Pandora's box potentially. But as I read this evidence, I'm I'm courage on on her uh, bringing that case. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think their closeness uh, – uh, look, also from an optic standpoint, it just looks terrible right now for Pinterest. They've had a situation last summer. They paid out almost $23 million to their ex-COO. Like, that's, those are not good signs. And you have a situation here where it, I think the other dynamic, too, that you can't, you know, shy away from is the fact that you have three guy co-founders who build a brand that is, like... 100% women. 100% women. Like, it's full DNA is 100% women. So part of her argument is, like, how do you think that happened? Like, how do you think they were able to get this so right? And her, with her background in design and all the, the basically things that she's talking to directly... I think she probably makes a pretty good case how, how she probably played a pretty outsized influence being so close to them, to your point, and bringing that perspective. Now, it also, this is a great use case as to how, even in the case where there is lots of, I literally was having this conversation yesterday with someone, but not exact situation, but early stage startup, friends that were helping each other out, all of a sudden capital gets raised, and there is now an issue where like founders not wanted to pay the person that did a lot to help them. Because it was like a little bit of handshake implied, like it, it, that's a sort of uncomfortable conversation that people are sometimes don't want to have because they're they have there's friendships that are involved here, but it's also the reality that if you don't do that, then you're in these kind of situations, you know. So I'm I'm much more in believing her case than what she's saying here, even if it's a little bit maybe a little bit embellished in terms of how much it play you know role she played. And I think also these guys, the founders of, of Pinterest, in a situation where they have a bad track record. And this is not just not a good narrative of what just happened. And then now having this person kind of come out this way, I think they're going to have to pay up in all scenarios. I, I think this thing gets settled in all scenarios. The, the other part that's suspect is in their response, they don't they don't characterize what she did do. In other right. words, I found that very interesting. They right. could have easily said, "We Miss Martinez was part of a large group of people who occasionally gave input. And yeah. Like they could have said that, but they're like basically without merit. They don't address any of the stuff that she says. Yeah. And that to me feels like they're already playing a little 3D chess, which which brings credibility it's, it's to her case. It's not going to end well. I just think it's not a matter of whether or well not- for her. Yeah, she'll it, be it's right. not a matter of whether or not she's getting money. It's like how much- she's How much get. is she going to get? Yeah, yeah. And what does that mean Yeah, for her going forward? Yeah. Agreed. Cool. All right. So last. we're in agreement on that second one. All right. Uh, last Courage or Cringe. Facebook. Did you know, by the way, this is, this is a show about social platforms. Did you notice that? Apparently. All three Courage or Cringe are all social platforms. So Facebook quietly lets 5.8 million politicians and celebrities get special enforcement of its rules. That's not going to raise us. any concern, Jesus. That's that not going to ruffle any feathers. Why would it? So according to a piece by the Wall Street Journal, Facebook has an internal system that exempts 5.8 million users from having to follow the rules on its platform. Now, this is actually not a new issue. As soon as I read this, I'm like, of course, that we is true. We talked about this on a previous show. As, because this dynamic was actually proven out very clearly last year by copycat accounts of President Trump. Do you remember this? That they basically were posting the exact same thing that he will post to see how long it will take for them to get flagged while the president's page remained uh, remain active. 
on Facebook, there was the Will They Suspend Me Facebook page. And on Twitter, there was one called Suspend the Press. Now, but these are people that were specifically trying to make the case that the, the that president there were different should rules. get... Yeah, there were different rules and he should get suspended and showing in real life how the exact same message will get their, their accounts flagged and spend it and then his, his But wasn't. none of those people had done the research on what we did for the previous show that actually showed that Facebook has a different policy, right? They've said that people who are public figures and they define it in a way that's really weird. I forget exactly how we discussed it, but... Um, that there is reason for the public to be aware of what they're saying simply their, because of their position. Their, their argument, correct. But in those cases, if you recall, it was both, I think, on Facebook and Twitter where they will put warnings for people before they look at the content, right? And, and the argument was like, we're not gonna, we're not going to completely take it off because being that it's a president, we feel that that content needs to be shown. But we're going to put a label saying that the information on this on this content may no, be, but I'm, maybe, the, the, maybe this, suspects. This and, is different things, though. And the, that was one that they would do. What yeah. they're arguing here is cases where there was mm -hmm. like direct violations to the to the content policy, of where their accounts was not were not at all being um, impacted, and there is a personal account with the exact same text, everything copied exactly the same, immediately flagged. Maybe you know, taken down. There's there's gradations of this. So my point is that at a baseline, there are admitted by Facebook different rules for mm -hmm. public figures, especially those that have however they define it. I forget how they said it, but basically politicians. Okay, mm -hmm. their baseline. There's different rules. Now to your point, what you said, they also went an additional step and said, in those cases where President Trump is saying something that is not true or whatever, we're going to put this disclaimer on top of that now. That's an additional rule. It, it kept rule. on escalating. Remember this, right? It kept on escalating. Initially, was, they were just ignoring Correct. it. Correct. But the baseline they're, they're, rule... They're, 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 yeah, that's right, because they're politicians. So we got to treat them a little bit different. Right. Then they were like, okay, they're not getting really carried away. So let's put a little disclaimer that says, hey, what's here, you really have to... like." Keep in mind that some of this information may not be, uh, be accurate. And then they finally took the step of actually starting to actually flag content, which was, I think Twitter was the very first one that did it, right? Yeah. And then it got to the point of even really craziness where anything, if you mentioned Trump, you were getting a warning on your post. Right. Like then, it was, it was, then it applied to everything. Literally like, everything is like, the sky is blue. Warning. Is, I, I would argue that there's functionality on my Instagram that I can no longer use because we mentioned COVID so much on 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 our post from, from the content. As a matter of fact... Funny enough, yesterday I put a picture of me working on the notes for today's for today's show. And I just simply say something like working on the whatever for the next episode. And I get a flag in my post about COVID because in the picture you can see that there was a, in the story about, about sweet greens, there's the the word COVID shows really? up on the picture. And therefore my Instagram post got flagged. And I can see it on my on my Instagram story got flagged that that basically for research around COVID, I click here. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't yeah, even say anything. Dude. It was like, they're it was a picture watching. where like COVID shows up on. So how does that make you feel? Like, what do you think? It happens to me all the time. Like every other post like happened all the time, all the time. Uh-huh. And I, how does I that make you feel? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't love that idea. Yeah, I don't either. I don't love that idea for either. sure. Um, but anyway, so this is, so this was happening, right? So the. The investigation detailed basically how high-profile users on its service who are newsworthy, influential, or popular. That's what it was, newsworthy. Or uh, PR risky, don't yeah. see the same you know, enforcement action as the ordinary users citing company documents they had viewed, right? So this included figures like former President Trump, of course, soccer star uh, Neymar, um, Neymar da Silva Santos, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Senator Elizabeth Warren and even Doug the Pug. Are covered by the system. I don't know who Doug the Pug is. Do you know, you know the name? Uh, I think isn't it that British dog that's like a comedian? It's like I a. Don't know. 
It's something like that. The, so the, the, the system is, is nicknamed X-Check or Cross-Check, right? The problem is that once added to this group, it makes their account much harder to moderate, right? As an example, the piece mentioned Neymar, who posted his WhatsApp communication with a woman who accused him of rape to his Facebook and Instagram account. Now, in that screenshot, he showed her name and nude photos of her. And because he's covered by X-Check, uh, moderators were blocked from removing the content. So I'm sure he was trying to like fight the allegations, but in that he disclosed content that obviously shouldn't be on shouldn't be on the platform. Quick, quick apology to Doug the Pug. Doug the Pug is actually a dog, an actual dog that lives in Nashville, in Tennessee, who has 13 million plus followers. Apparently, it is a pug, a Chinese pug, the brand, the breed, and uh, so it's basically like Instagram famous canine. I, I need to follow Doug the Pug. Um, I, would I, pass. I do. I do follow Raccoon uh, Instagram accounts. They are hilarious. Really, Raccoons are like follow little... Chulo and Duke. You know, my dogs have an Instagram oh, now. I do that. See, because Raccoons to me, they're like little drunk people all the time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> they, it's like they they're really, constantly partying. They really, really are. Uh, so, less than ten percent of the content that X checks flags to the company as needing attention actually gets reviewed, right? And most, and this is the part that was actually really interesting. Most Facebook employees have the power to add users to the X-Check system for whitelisting status. That's messed up. That's that's a massive problem. Yeah, of course. Right, because then it becomes a thing like basically for any reason, you start dropping people in there, all of a sudden your list of exclusives becomes... It's like the bouncer at the club in college. That's you know how you I mean? get to 5.8 million people I'm or not accounts. On, I'm right? not on the list, but don't worry about it. I know this guy. Exactly. Uh, now, Facebook has acknowledged that X-Check, X-Check and its downfalls years ago and told the journal that it's trying to terminate its whitelisting practice. Uh, now, the company documents also show how Facebook intention to eradicate the system uh, a product manager proposed a plan to stop allowing Facebook employees to add new users uh, to XCheck as a solution. Think about that the comment. Is like though. proposing to to right. Like, so why the, would we do that immediately? Like, well, here's that's my, like, but, but, but so this is terrible. this is a legit question. Has Facebook gotten so big that they can't immediately take action on something? In other words, is there there's no dashboard where they're like, oh, let's just turn that button off? Is this thing gotten so big that in order for them to say, yeah, we're trying to wind that down, they may not know like. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, There's all the downstream repercussions of everything that, that could get impacted by that. Yeah, no, that's why. Do you remember the, the what was their mantra? Uh, move Dude, fast and. Move fast and break things. And break things. Yeah, that, that stopped being the mantra a long time ago. Yeah. Well, Google's mantra was do no evil. Talk about that's going away right. a long time ago. Uh, and in part because now it's such a massive platform that they really think about any kind of product uh, uh, upgrade. It really they have to test it out, roll it out in batches, and see how, how right. it actually behaves. But my point is, them saying we're looking yeah. to shut this down, like they probably have to analyze. If we shut this down, then this thing of will course. break, and this thing will happen, and it's like it takes six months to make a decision, probably. Yeah, that's which is very sad, right? So, anyways, courage or cringe? Social platforms needing to give special consideration for influential users. Or lack of consistent application of content guidelines only adding to mistrust in these platforms. Easy. It's got Facebook in the title. It's cringe. So that's easy. Show's over. Goodbye. No, um, <laughs> it's cringe. But look, it, it, I can see an argument for something like we want to give – because we think that even when they say outlandish things, because of who these people are, it has a bearing on the world. And we're going to reserve a m- amount of rules with maybe some stop gaps like they did for Trump. For heads of state and heads of religions, let's just say. I'm just throwing those two out there. Church and state. Heads of state, like the president of X, not senator from whatever. No, 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 no. Not congresswoman from wherever. State assembly person. No. Presidents and like heads of religions. I could see a very limited universe of exceptions made for those people. Right. 
and even having some stop, some like stop gaps beyond that, right? If you, even if you cross that, like we'll let it go once or twice, but we're going to hammer you on the third time. Everyone else, I think should live by the same rules. And I can even make an, I can even see an argument that everyone should just have the same rules. Even there should be no limited or protected class. But I can concede that there might be that head of state, you know, concession or something That's like why, that. Yeah. Not 5.8 million people. <laughs> and not the bouncer at the Facebook club For going sure. like, yeah, I can get you on the list. Don't worry. Yeah. And like being an influencer should not make you someone that gives you special rules of what you can create or not. No. Because to me, those would be actually the, the most dangerous people in terms of the things that they can say. In the case of, of Trump, I mean, the, the part of the, the challenge here is that I agree to some extent saying, hey, having a president be able to communicate at any point is really important. But there's also a case of like, like how far is too much? You know, like I'm sure you saw this, right, with the with the recall election. Trump was talking about that this is going to be a stolen election, whatever it was, two days ago. Already. Like, dude, you like you guys are never like waiting for the results anymore. It's like, like oh, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, it's stolen. Hey guys, it's stolen. He's not even on social. You're, you're even on social. You literally have put yeah. it out like like ex-president, like <laughs> Faxing in his tweets, it was like, dude, at least wait for the cow. Like at least at this point, it's like, right. But what's wrong with my proposal though? So like, say say somebody say somebody says say somebody says this is stolen, and then you go, hey, we want people to hear what you have to say because you're a president, letting you know the next one you do like that, we're taking your thing down, and that's your special rule that nobody has. Anybody else who writes stolen, they're gone immediately. See what I'm saying? Like. If you well, ha- I feel like they kind of did that, but the problem is that this group, it was like the bouncer, it's like the VIP area became yeah. the everyone area. Yeah. And that just doesn't work. Velvet rope. I think you have to be, yeah, I, I, kinda, I guess, I guess yeah, thinking about it, I do like that idea of having a very, very small group of people that will fall under special consideration. And even then, that consideration should be very limited in terms of the use cases. I think increasingly um, these platforms getting to a place of uniformity where where they're like a utility, like electricity, like a phone, I think heading in that direction, in my opinion, the more I think about this, probably the better. Um, so, but I still think like a limited universe of exceptions could make some sense, increasingly making less sense over time, sure. but I can live with it, but I can't live with 6 million. So there you go. There, there you go. So cringe as well. Cringe across the board. Facebook, cringe. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> All right. Let's see what's coming up next. Anything interesting? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know what's, we'll see. We'll see you don't what know what's happening in the future? I do not know what's happening in the future. Episode 56, and, by, and with the same governor. We didn't even switch governors in California. In we didn't even v, talk about that. We didn't, yeah, we didn't even talk about it. It was a landslide. Yeah. Well, wasn't even close. But you know what's interesting about that? So uh-huh. having four out of 10 people basically say that you don't, they don't want you to be the governor, like they don't want you to have your job. Okay, it's a landslide, but it's kind of like second place is the first loser. In other words, it's not the kind of thing you write home about. Say, hey, by the way, I, I, I didn't get kicked out of the job that I was elected to do today. You know what I mean? It's not like a – you don't get to do a victory lap for not being recalled, in my opinion, after well, being Yeah, I mean the fact that it, got to, that it got there, you're right. That obviously, you know, that's not good. He's the first uh, governor uh, that went through an actual recall vote in since 2003. Yeah, right, 2003. So last uh, 18 years. No, Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. With Gray, da- Gray Davis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not great. Having said that, and what happened to Gray Davis? I never heard from him again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, having said that, I think the the the, the dynamic that we and we had talked about this before, right? One is you had 
you know, in California is about what, like twenty five percent, give or take, Republicans around there, right? It's like a quarter, know. give or take. Um, there was already a push to get him ousted, like the second the guy walked in. So this is before COVID. It but just it was, got, in, but it it just it was got independence. Steam. It was going to make the difference in this one. It just got like got tons of steam. And yeah. the two things we talked about is this dinner at this uh, French Laundry place, and then um, and then getting the four month extension almost at the same time to go out and get the additional signatures. But the best thing that happened, to, and we sort of said, the best thing that happened are two things. One is Larry Elder mm-hmm. was literally godsend for 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 Gavin Newsom because mm-hmm. it gave him a great person to point this to. So it stopped being a referendum on Gavin Newsom. It was to stop Larry Elder from becoming the governor. Yeah, it was the way that... So it, that was perfect It for was him. Biden in office. It was like, look, nobody wants this it's guy, like a but voting it's better against than this. Rather than voting for, right? It is. To, it's a voting point. against, yeah. That's one. And I, and I really believe is that Governor Abbott in Texas and, and DeSantis in, in Florida are... Newsom should be sending them bottles of wine to mm-hmm. both those guys. Say, hey, thanks for all the like great work this past few weeks on all this new legislature. Thank you because you literally got me reelected. Mm-hmm. Because no, people got, s- got you not recalled. That's not oh, reelected. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, got, got me not recalled. But yeah, yeah but that's why yeah. it was such a landslide. It yeah. was like, and you say you talk about like thirty percent, give or take, of people in thirty six. You, yeah. you can still say okay, twenty five percent of that is is people that are Republican, and also you got to think about how many people actually voted. That I don't know how how don't similar either. it was, but. Yeah, there's some people definitely the independent that that voted, you know, to to recall them. But it's still relatively speaking, it's probably like most Republican and then some percentage of independents, and then everyone else went uh, the other direction. It wasn't close, and the reason it wasn't close when it was really close about a month ago, right? Because we the yeah, polling about a month ago was like really really close, and I think, then Larry I think Elder the- kind of came to the scene, and then over the last month, what is all the things that have happened in Texas, right? You have anti-abortion laws, you have restrictions on voting, you have much more like loose. Uh, um, Gun laws. These are like at least three major policies. All of that are very conservative. It's like California kryptonite. Exactly. So you hear all that? Great. And then what's happening? In, and then with the Delta, you know, variant going up, and what's happening in Florida? Great one, right? Because that was one of the things that you did see is that people were very for, and that was a little surprising to me, how people were actually so for the idea of the restrictions that Gavin Newsom put in, in the state. As a matter of fact, there was a percentage that people had like eighty something percent of people were actually agreeing. With them that they were they were that they were the right ones or should be actually more yeah. strict. I do agree that with you that I think that was actually super interesting. I thought it would be. I do think it's a it's a big win for the you know kind of vaccine mandate and all of those kind of issues that are on that side of the spectrum. We'll talk about that too on a show coming up. We we have to because that's a big ticket thing. But I agree that that was the case. All I'm saying is that not being. <laughs> it's like being sent to the principal's office for like right. being like a class clown and yeah. not getting suspended and right. feeling good about it. It's like right, yeah. Just well. you see what I'm saying? Like it's. Oh, I agree it, with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's 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 not. Maybe good. I could think of a better analogy next time. I, I was just hearing this. We well, were having a conversation yesterday with someone, and they were saying like, "Hey, I think you know." We're talking about for the for the next presidential election, and basically some of the concerns that we Larry have, Elder for president that we have with Biden, and like, do you think that, that uh, uh, Trump runs again? And I'm like, look, if I'm Biden, I am hoping and wishing that, that Trump wins again, runs again. Because I think if that's literally the only reason why Biden gets reelected. It, once again, the anti-Trump vote. I, I just don't, I think if you put anyone else that is competent and is like less sort of controversial, I think Biden loses right now. Mm-hmm. That's my POV on it. Yeah. Well, interesting subject matter for a future show, Jesus. Awesome. All right. Anything else? That's it. All right. We'll see everybody again next week on another episode of TDR. 
you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.